G'day sports fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. Coming at you on a Wednesday evening, happy hump day, hopefully your Wednesday was bearable and we're moving into the second half of our week with a smile on our dial. Back with another Fast Five and there's plenty to discuss today. The first time I'm going to mention a little bit of NBL action, I'm going to talk about some NFL storylines, quick little NBA teaser and then wrap up with a little bit of a recap from the first round of the AFL Draft. I started to record this podcast actually at about 4.30 WA time, thinking that the AFL Draft kicked off at 5pm our time, and that wasn't the case. I finished recording and started to look at editing, opened up the AFL website and found out that uh, it was nearly Frio's pick, so (laughs) fell asleep at the wheel a little bit in that regard, but I'm back here. First thing that I want to start with, though, is some NBL chatter. I haven't spoken about NBL much if at all, on the Sports by Fright pod. And I have crapped on it a little bit publicly in the past, obviously not on uh, the podcast platform, but I think the NBL is quickly building a reputation as one of the best leagues outside the NBA, of course, in the world. And I want to focus my attention today mainly on RJ Hampton and LaMelo Ball. I don't watch a lot of NBL basketball, but I did tune in to the Illawarra Hawks and Cairns Taipans game on Monday, where Lamelo had an unbelievable game, became the youngest player in NBL history to record a triple-double, started on fire with eight points, five boards, and six assists in the first quarter, and hit pretty impressive three, deep three even by NBA standards. And it's the last or first triple-double in four years of NBL action, so all that said, it was a pretty impressive performance by Lamelo, and will definitely boost his draft stock. Quick tangent, Mitch uh, Kupchak, the GM of the Hornets, he was actually in Australia watching that game, and he went and checked out RJ Hampton a little bit earlier. If the season ended today, the Hornets would have the sixth pick in the draft, and it's not unheralded that both these dudes will be in the mix for one of those picks, or maybe even come off the board a little bit earlier. Lamelo's done pretty good to boost his draft stock so far. Through the NBL fixture to date, he's averaging about 16 points and nearly 7 assists and 7 rebounds, which is pretty impressive. Shooting under 40% and not shooting great from the three-point line either, but he did can four threes in that game against Cairns Taipans, including a game-tying one that sent the game into OT, so... The decision to come out and play in Australia early on looks like a pretty good one for Ball, and I think it's going to help him and RJ Hampton boost their profile. It'll be be fun to watch how many other highly touted prospects do follow in their shoes in the future. I haven't watched as much of RJ Hampton, and he hasn't put up the same eye-popping numbers, but he is playing almost a quarter less than Ball on average for minutes. At the moment, he's averaging 9.8 points, nearly three dimes, and a tick over four assists, shooting a little bit better clip. It'll be fun to watch. They actually play each other and go head-to-head on Saturday night, so make sure you tune into that Breakers and Hawks game, but I'm going to have a very close eye on LaMelo and RJ for the rest of the NBL season and see just how their NBL form dictates their draft places. Second thing to discuss today, I'm looking at some NFL coaches, mainly the ones that are in the hot seat. Today, I released my power rankings for all 32 coaches and where they are in the hot seat rankings, so I'll throw the link to that in this podcast description, or you can check that out at sportsbyfright.com. Bit of a spoiler alert, Dan Quinn, the Atlanta Falcons coach, he finds himself at number one, or the coach most likely to get fired at season end, and I would... Be surprised if he kept his job at the Falcons. Their team has kind of struggled 
they put a, put together a fortnight of good games recently, and then they fell back off the wagon. The offense is stalled, defense looks awful, and that's what Dan Quinn took over at the start of the season. So I'd be surprised if the Falcons didn't make a change. But I think the most, even though I put him at number one, the coach that is in the most danger at the moment is Matt Patricia. He's in a tough division in the NFC North, and Detroit brought him in to be a defensive guru after his time in New England, and at the moment, since he came to the Lions, Detroit is second, or second last, in the NBA for takeaways or turnovers caused, so I think he's in a lot of danger. Some other names that are near the top of the list include Freddie Kitchens, the Cleveland Browns coach, Doug Marone, who hasn't really done a lot with the Jaguars since their run to the AFC Championship a few years ago, Adam Gase from the Jets. Apparently, according to personnel at the New York Jets uh, front office, they've said that Gase is safe, and he could save himself with a good finish, sitting at 4-7. and seven. They've got Cincinnati and Miami in the next fortnight, so that'll be interesting to see if he can keep his job with a couple more Ws. The sleeper pick, I think, keep your eye on Bill O'Brien of the Texans. I put him almost smack bang in the middle of the road when it came to the hot seat rankings, but... The Texans have been pretty inconsistent thus far, and if they keep trending downwards and drop a couple of games they shouldn't and fail to go too far in the playoffs, I wouldn't be surprised if O'Brien was shown the door. Next up on the Fast Five, and the third thing I want to discuss today, sticking with the NFL, is the Baltimore Ravens. And man, oh man, do they look legit. They absolutely creamed the Rams on Monday Night Football, coming off a big win against the Texans the week before that. And I think from memory it was Cincinnati they played in the week prior. And now, after their last couple of games, the Baltimore Ravens are the highest scoring team in the league. And that is fueled clearly by the new frontrunner for the MVP in Lamar Jackson. He's made a pretty unreal step in his growth from year one to year two. And full credit to the Ravens organization, they've put him in a position to succeed. And he's turning heads with the growth he's shown as a passer. He's on track to throw for nearly three and a half thousand yards, which if you had have said it this time last year, it would have sounded crazy, but he has definitely made improvements with his arm. And of course, rushing the football, he's a dynamic weapon as well. So the combination of that plus a good running game for the Ravens, solid defense, has the Baltimore Ravens looking like one of, if not the best team in the entire NFL right now? We're going to find out a lot about them in week 13. They're taking on the San Francisco 49ers, who many, probably including myself, think have the best defense in the league. So watching the best offense clash with the best defense makes a mouth-watering clash for sure. Turning my attention to some NBA news, there wasn't a lot to discuss after just two games today, which saw the Clippers and the Nuggets cruise to pretty easy wins. But turning my attention back to the games the day prior, looking firstly at the 76ers and the Raptors, some pretty interesting things popped out of this uh, box score. The Raptors got the W in their first game against the Sixers ever since their infamous playoff season uh, match a season ago. Surprisingly, Toronto moved to 7-0 at home, which I didn't really realise. But what was more surprising and the most alarming uh, factor from this contest was that Joel Embiid went scoreless, dropped a goose egg against the Raptors. First time in his NBA career, he failed to record a single point. Over 11 from the field, including over 3 from the free throw line. Wasn't a complete loss. He did pitch in 13 boards, but that loss and Joel Embiid's stinker of a game put the 76ers at 11-6 and 6 now for the year, which isn't terrible. They're still right in the mix 
out in the Eastern Conference. And I was big on the 76ers heading into the year. I think I tipped them to make the finals, actually. But they're sitting in the fifth seed at the moment. There's a couple of teams above them that I don't think are going to go anywhere as well. So 76ers need to pull their finger out, maybe make a move or two for another shooter if they want to cement themselves as a favourite out in the East. Speaking of the favourites out in the East, another game that caught my eye was the Utah Jazz playing against the Milwaukee Bucks. Bucks extended their winning streak to eight games now with a 122-118 W. For what it's worth, Rudy Gobert wasn't playing in this game, but the main reason Milwaukee was able to get a W in this game was because of Giannis Antetokounmpo, who shapes up as the dude who, barring anything crazy, is going to win his second straight MVP. I know it's crazy to call it not even 15 or 20 games into the year, but right now it's his award to lose. Dropped a 50-burger on the Jazz, including three threes, had 14 boards, six offensive ones that he probably just slammed straight back in, and went with six assists as well. So Giannis and the Bucks are looking like a force at the moment, tied with the Lakers for the best record. Oh, I think winning percentage-wise they might be, but technically the Lakers might have another W. But the Bucks are the best record in the East, one of the best records in the league, and currently are riding an eight-game winning streak, which is a bit surprising. I didn't think they would be flying as much when Chris Middleton went down. I thought they might have stumbled a bit, but the Bucks and the 76ers, two powers in the Eastern Conference, are kind of trending in opposite directions, so I'll definitely have my eye on them for the next week or two to see if the 76ers can buck the trend and start to win a few more games, and if the Bucks do slide a little bit down the standings. Last thing that I want to talk about is the first round of the AFL draft. We've seen 21 picks be made so far, including a couple of academy players bidded on, so Fremantle were probably the big winners from day one. I mean, I don't want to sound a little bit biased with purple-tinged glasses, but they were able to land Hayden Young at pick seven. They then added the smart ball user and the small inside midfielder slash forward in Caleb Sarong. And then right after that, Kind of surprisingly, the Blues put a bid on Liam Henry. We thought that a bid for Henry would come in the first round, but not many people thought it would come in the top 10, and Frio smartly matched that. So they were able to get a trio of top 10 picks that I think will really help their future cause. Right after that, Carlton put a bid on GWS player Tom Green. He is now a GWS player after they decided to match. Then, probably in the most noteworthy move of the night, the Blues actually traded that pick, which then eventually became pick 11, to the Gold Coast Suns, who I thought was smart to grab Sam Flanders. He was one of the big sliders from night one. A lot of people had him penciled in, myself included, to go number five to Sydney. And I really think that the Gold Coast Suns have a winner on their hands with Flanders. They had to pay up a bit. I think from memory they gave picks 17 and 22 up to Carlton. So not a huge loss. I mean, Obviously, if you're the Gold Coast Suns and a dude like Flanders is sliding down the board and you're really keen on him, you just grab the bloke. And I think it was smart on their behalf to do that. I've called them out for trading back for future assets in the past, but it was a wise move on their behalf to jump up and grab Flanders. Couples their couple of other selections they got in Matt Rowell and Noah Anderson pretty nicely. And that goes with a trio of first-rounders in Rankin, Lacocious, and Ben King from a year ago. So, lots to like about the Suns. The Dockers probably won't play a lot of uh, a lot of a factor for the rest of the draft, but they were another dude, another team that were big winners on night one in my eyes. Cooper Stevens going to Geelong at pick 16, I liked. The Bulldogs and the Demons were able to address their need for small forwards, so 
plenty to discuss. I'll probably do a big article recapping the entire draft once it unfolds, and we'll see for the next few days just how those picks will unfold, starting with Port Adelaide at pick 22. One last little nugget. Shout out to Stephen F. Austin, who beat Duke at the buzzer in OT today. The first time Duke lost to a non-ranked power conference team since 1983. And another quick shout-out to Anthony Edwards, a highly touted NBA draft prospect who scored 37 against one of the top teams in college in Michigan State. Other than that, that is all I've got for today's Fast Five. Thank you once again for tuning in. Tomorrow, I'm going to start working on my updated MVP NBA rankings Oh, the ladder, I should say, 2.0. I released the first one not too long ago, so it's time for a second installment, and I'll probably turn that into a podcast as well. Got another piece in the work, doing some NBA fantasy looking in, and of course, I'll be back with another Fast Five on the weekend, looking at the upcoming week of NFL games, recapping the AFL draft, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of other relevant ball to talk about. But thanks for tuning in to this episode. Until next time. 